Good morning, Reach Church. All right, so if there's kids who want to head to Reach Kids, they can head out now. We have one little guy. All right. <laughs> Special attention there. All right. Uh, it's good to be with you this Sunday morning. Uh, now, a couple weeks ago, I, I said that we would be going through Genesis. Now, the plans change. Plans change. Some of you feel like you've been going crazy and are like, well, uh, I, didn't he say Genesis? Yes, we did talk about Genesis. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to be talking about the church, the church, and ultimately the relationship between Jesus and his church and who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. Now, the title of this series is, is I Love My Church. I Love My Church. And you're thinking, well, that's, that's a little presumptuous. Maybe I don't love my church. Uh, but first and foremost, this is what Jesus is saying that Jesus is proclaiming his love for the church and that we are his beloved. We are the ones that he loves. We are the ones that he has chosen. That the church has kind of a special place in the heart of Jesus Christ. And we want to we kind of identify with that. We want to live up to that reality. We want to live in the midst of that reality, that we are those loved by Jesus and that he loves his church. And we want to be the church that, um, that kind of reflects back that love that he has for us. So uh, with that in mind, we're going to be looking at kind of different pictures of the church throughout the Bible. And today we're looking at probably the one that emphasizes the love of Jesus the most. Today we're looking at how the church is the bride of Christ. That the church is the bride of Christ. That we are those who have been, been chosen and kind of are now engaged to Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, uh, we're going to look at kind of how, how this process came about. How did Jesus become the bridegroom to the bride, his church? And then kind of what's our, what's our temptation as the bride? What's our tendency? How, what do we tend to do with our identity as the bride? And then ultimately, how does, how does Jesus bring his bride to him? How does he get us to that, to that altar to our wedding day? So uh, let's pray and then we'll... We'll read uh, a lot of scripture, so <laughs> let's pray. Father, we thank you that you aren't just apathetic. You haven't just chosen us um, to have a, a mundane relationship with you. You have called us to, to be the very bride of Jesus, to delight in him and for him to delight in us, to enjoy this, this intimate fellowship to be united together. And Father, we thank you that, that Jesus alone could have made that possible. As we think of being the bride of Christ, we recognize that we do not deserve to have this groom. And so, Father, would you encourage us um, to look to Jesus? Would you make us the faithful bride that you call us to be? And Father, would you um, wash us clean with the blood of Jesus, that we may be perfect and unstained and pure, to be presented to you in holiness? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to start by looking at how kind of we became the church. What did it take for God to make us, for Jesus to call us his bride? And so we're going to look first at the Old Testament, kind of the origin of this metaphor, and then see how it kind of plays out in the New Testament. So we're going to start by looking at Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16. Now that should be up there. Uh, 
is an intense passage, but um, a good one. A good one. Uh, I am lost. Everyone has plenty of time to turn. <laughs> All right, we made it. We made it. All right, we're starting with uh, Ezekiel 3. And say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are that of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother was a Hittite. All right, what does that mean? Uh, you were of no, you were, they weren't of noble birth. They weren't anyone. They were... They were the people of other gods, but... And as for your birth, on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, not wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you, I saw you wallowing in your blood. And I said to you, in your blood, live. And I said to you, in your blood, live. And I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth from the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Now this is God describing how he came to be the, the beloved of Israel where Israel started, where Israel began, and then what the Lord did for her. How he brought her up, how she was of nothing. She, was of not, she wasn't of royal birth. She wasn't the beloved of God. She didn't deserve any of this. She was wallowing in her blood. And what did God do? God, God scooped her up and built her up and presented her in splendor and beauty and perfection. All right, that is, that is the love of our God. That is how he chooses us. And we see that that same, that same metaphor, this same metaphor of, of washing and cleansing and, and calling to himself is used when Jesus talks of his church. That, this, that when he describes the story of how, how we, the church, came to be, it's exactly the same process. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
All right, that is, the, that is the work of our groom. That is the love that we should lavish in, that he has called us, that ultimately we were left abandoned and naked and defenseless, that we were totally left dead in our sin. And what did Jesus call? Jesus called live, live. And he gave us new life. And he adorned us, and he, he gave us food to eat and, and wine to drink. Fine linens clothed us. And he called us beautiful and perfect. Perfect in beauty and splendor. Now I want to remind us that, because uh, this passage in Ezekiel, it doesn't, it doesn't know the full story. It doesn't know the full story of how this was supposed to happen. But now... Now, as we look at the New Testament, as we understand this fully, this only happened because Jesus washed us clean with his blood. That when Jesus cried out, live, live, we knew that now that he had to die to let that happen. He had to die to take death from off, off of us. So that he had, to, he had to bleed for those who are, who are dead in our own blood that those fine linens that we are clothed with, that's the righteousness of Christ that we did not earn, we could not earn. It is nothing of ourselves. That the gold and the silver that we're adorned with are because Jesus became poor, because he became destitute, because he became nothing and walked alongside his bride. This is the heavenly inheritance that he deserved and he earned for us and he puts upon us. That's his crown that we are wearing. That is his righteousness. That is his holiness. That is his beauty. That Jesus was, was ugly and marred upon the cross so that we might be the beautiful and perfect bride. Now, you might, may never have thought about this, but that's actually what weddings are supposed to evoke, those, those images. That there's a reason that the bride is supposed to be in white because she is, she is as, as this is, perfect in splendor and beauty. There's not a spot on her. She is... She's radiant and, and glorious. And yet the groom, what does the groom wear? He wears black. <laughs> because all of the stains were on the bride. That she used to be wearing a black dress. And, and Jesus Christ absorbed all of that, and, and now he is clothed in black, and we are clothed in white. That's the picture. That's the picture. Now, this is, I, can't, I can't evoke how, how beautiful an image this is. And the love of Christ is displayed here. And how tender-hearted he is. And I'll remind us that like, when we stand before God, washed clean by the, the washing of the word, the blood of Christ, like, we are that, that perfect and spotless, as it says, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that we might be holy and without blemish. And that's what was required of us. That if we're going to be the marry into the family of God himself, the holy God, if we're going to be married to the perfect groom, then we have to be holy and perfect and spotless. That comes only through Jesus. All right. Now, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? 
What has the church universally kind of done with this? What is the temptation? Now, I wish that Ezekiel kind of stopped there. I wish the passage stopped there. But it shows what the heart of that bride does. That what we do with this beautiful and an amazing engagement. And let's continue in Ezekiel 16, verses 15 through 22. This is what Israel did with all those things. But you trusted in your beauty, and you played the whore because of your renown, and lavished in your whorings on the passerby. Your beauty became his. And you took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines, and on them played the whore. The likes has never been, nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and you made for yourself images of men, and with them played the whore. You took your embroidered garments to cover them and set your oil and my incense before them. Also my bread that I gave you. I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey, and you set before them for a pleasing aroma, so that, and so it was, declares the Lord. You took your sons and your daughters, whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whoring so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your blood. All right, this is a devastating passage. This is a, a, a devastating comparison between the, the beautiful heart of God and like the lavishing on of this just pouring out and pouring out and then the, the reaction that, that Israel, the, the people of God kind of took all of these gifts and each one was just kind of transitioned into idolatry and into running after other gods, into adultery and so you see her like taking that same bread and offering it as sacrifices to other gods. And to take those same beautiful linens and, and silk and place them on the, the backs of, our, of idols. And even take the children of that marriage and, and give them to another. All right, that is, that is the heart. That is the heart of, of all of us. That left alone and, and the natural man, that's what we do. That we receive all of this love, we receive this beautiful sacrifice, and we, and we transition and we give it over to others. That we are an adulterous people, if left to ourselves. And that's not just the Old Testament, that Paul actually warns about the same thing. 2 Corinthians 11.2 For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you've received, or if you accept a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. All right, what is he saying? He's saying that we had, we had this beautiful thing. We had Jesus. We had the message of Jesus coming to us and washing us clean and making us perfect, of calling us the bride. But our human hearts, what do we inevitably try to do with it? 
We give that to, nothing, to anything but Jesus. There's the anything but Jesus mentality. And then we take even the gifts that he's given us and we give them to other things. And we devote ourselves to other things and we love other things. All right, I ask you this week, this week, what were you most devoted to this week? What was your beloved this week? What were you most excited about? What was the thing that, that you were holding on to and clinging to as precious? What was the thing that, that kind of wrapped up your attention and your, your identity? All right, maybe it was the law. And maybe it was this call to be, to be a really good person and to, to try harder and, and be good once again. All right, that's actually a, that's a, a different gospel. That's a different message. That's a different spirit. That's a different lover than Jesus. That Jesus didn't come so that you might fall in love with the law. He came that you might fall in love with him and want to worship and, and honor him, not be a slave to the law. All right, did you, did you run after the escapes that the world offer you, offers you? These alternative comforts and alternative salvations things that could distract you for a little bit from, from your hardship before running to, to Jesus, your groom. Now, maybe, maybe you, you gave yourself to sin, and that was kind of your delight. That was your, your hope and your salvation, that we take the freedom that was given us in Christ, a gift of grace, and, and we give it to to sin, to indulge in it. And that's, that's what we do. Maybe we even took the, took ourselves. So, so Jesus has, has washed us clean and given us such blessings and such wisdom. And then, oftentimes, we worship ourselves with it. So we say, well, I'm, I'm pretty amazing now. And now I get to judge everyone else and present myself as this amazing person like, you were wallowing in your blood. All right, there's no place for that. All right, what have you given yourself to? And this is, this is, not, to, this is not to shame us. This is just the reality of our hearts. And my hope is that we'd want to see, again, see the, the beautiful love of our Savior and we would not be deceived, as it says. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray. See through those things. See through the false lovers. Like, they don't care for you. They do not love you. They will not die for you. They will not adorn you. There's a reason that no one else saw Israel. Because no one else cared. And all of these other lovers, they didn't... They didn't care about you when you were destitute. And they won't care about you when you lose everything. And that's where ultimately, like, as a church, we are the beloved bride, but we are an adulterous bride. We're an adulterous bride. And we ask, okay, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? We look at a passage like this and we think, well... How does, 
how does Israel get out of this? How are they restored to Jesus? How are they restored to God? And remarkably, remarkably, we see this in Ezekiel 16, 59 through 63. For thus says the Lord God, this is the same, same passage, it's just building on it. I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant, yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Jumping to 62. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. All right, what is he saying here? What is he saying? He's saying that he made a covenant vow, that he was faithful. But we broke the covenant, Israel broke the covenant, that we are the adulterous people. That once we are adulterous, like the covenant is dead. But what, is, what does God say? He says, you know, I'm, I'm still going to keep the covenant. I'm still going to keep my promise. I'm still going to fight for this. And actually, I'm going to replace this covenant that could be broken with one that is everlasting and one that cannot be broken. And when I make that covenant, I will atone even for your ongoing idolatry, for your ongoing adultery. And I will make sure and I will ensure that you, you make it to the altar. That God promises that, no, he will call his people in spite of their adultery. And he will continue to love them because he is faithful, even, even as we struggle to be faithful. That he cannot forsake himself. And we see in, uh, in Revelation 19.6, that in spite of everything, the church does make it to that altar. They make it to that, that heavenly throne room. They, they make it to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 19.6. Then I, see, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now this is a, this is a weird passage because you think, well, no, I thought it was, supposed to be, it was just supposed to be Jesus. And it's even more than that. It's saying that, not that we, we saved ourselves, not that we made ourselves beautiful, but it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That Jesus actually sees us through this whole process, and he does sanctify us. That's the difference between the old and the new covenant, is because now we have the Holy Spirit. That Jesus comes and he actually unites us to himself. And he kills the idolatry within it. He kills the adultery. And he cleanses us. And he changes us. And the Holy Spirit, you know what the Holy Spirit is called? He is called the guarantee. He's the engagement ring of Jesus. The promise ring that says, you know what? I don't care what you do. I'm, 
I'm going to make you my bride. And I'm going to make you faithful. And I will work and I will work and I will ensure that you make it to that altar. That's our groom. And he says, I didn't die for nothing. I didn't die and cleanse you and wash you clean with my blood just to leave you abandoned. No. He will he'll take us to that altar. And when we get there, we will be spotless and we will be pure and we will even have a righteousness of our own because we have been so cleansed. Now, what does that mean for us? Ask for the Holy Spirit. This Saturday, we asked that we saw the prayer of Paul that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit so we might see this love of Jesus, so we might understand the love that surpasses all knowledge, the height and breadth and depth and width of this love, this is overwhelming hurricane of love as we sang about. We desperately need to see this love of Jesus that all of these other lovers would just pale in comparison. And ultimately, we need to be about nothing but Jesus. That he's been totally all about us. He has loved us and he has given himself to us. Let's prepare for that day when we'll stand before him. Let's love him and be devoted to him. Not so we can earn ourselves our salvation, but so we might actually just enjoy the love of Jesus Christ and delight in our Savior who delights in us. Amen? Any questions? Any questions? Let's pray. Father, we are astounded by your love. We are astounded that you would pick us up out of our sin and out of our, our poverty and our blood and our death. And Father, that even after doing that, that you would still continue to forgive our adulterous hearts. Father, we are amazed by the love of Jesus. And we ask that we might see this love, that you might open the eyes of our hearts to see it, that you might give us a supernatural understanding of the, the surpassing love that you have for us, that we might be fully devoted to our bridegroom. Father, as we suffer and as we forego, we ask that you would just give us eyes to, to get excited about the day of the Lord when we get to enjoy this wedding feast, when we get to be united to you forever, for all eternity, that we get to delight in your love and be united to you. Father, would you see us through to that day? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you grant us the righteousness and the purity that we desperately need. Father, give us the holiness that we need to, to stand before you. Wash us clean with your blood. And Father, give us great joy in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. All right. Good morning, Reach Church. So you want to head, uh, the kids want to head out now? They can. Off to Reach Kids. So good morning again. We are starting a new series this week, and a couple weeks ago I told you that we'd be starting a series in Genesis. 
That is not happening. <laughs> uh, change of plans, that is not the plan anymore. Um, instead, instead, we're going to be looking at some of the images and metaphors and um, passages about the church, about the church, so that we as the church might understand who we are, our relationship to Jesus, how we are to, to relate to him, how we relate to the world, how we relate to one another. Now, the title of this, this series is uh, I Love My Church. I Love My Church. And that's not first and foremost something that we say. That's something that Jesus says about his church, that he loves his church. He is devoted to his church. He has given himself to his church, that he loves his church. And thankfully, uh, we're not the ones supporting church. We're not the ones who need to love the church. We need to be loved by Jesus. We are the church, and we are loved by him. And so uh, today we're looking at um, one of those metaphors for the church, probably the one that kind of zeroes in on the love of Christ for his church the most. Today we're looking at how the church is the bride of Christ, that Jesus is our bridegroom and we are the bride. Now, we're going to look at that uh, in a couple different ways. We're going to see how we became the bride of Christ, what it takes for the church to be his bride. We're going to see what kind of the church, if left by itself, tends to do with that, that proposal from Jesus. And then we're going to see how Jesus kind of gets us to that altar, how he gets us to the marriage supper of the Lamb, how he supports us on the way. So, uh, let's pray and uh, prepare our hearts for, for the day. Father, we thank you that you have not called us to a passionless, emotionless, just dull relationship with Jesus, but we are the bride, that he is our bridegroom, that we are intimately connected, that we are united to him, that he has poured out his love upon us, he has called us to himself, and he has made us his own. And so, Father, I ask that you would help us to see Jesus. Would you help us to see the love that he has for us as the church? And, Father, would we change from the inside out that we might love him and be faithful and want to bask in that love and give our love to no other? Father, would you minister to us? Would you fill us with your spirit that we may receive these things? Would you give us focus and, uh, and understanding as we look at your scripture? Father, we pray this, all that we might love our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture today. We're going to look at, first, uh, the Old Testament kind of precedent for the church as the bride. And this goes way back uh, kind of to the, the Old Testament even, where we see the people of God kind of called to be the, the spouse of God in a sense. And so we're going to look first at, um, at how God created a people for himself, what it took for God to call this, this bride to himself, starting with Israel. And so we're going to look at Ezekiel 16, Ezekiel 16, and see this picture of, of God calling his people. Now it's up on, the, up on the screens, follow along with me, this is a long passage, so Ezekiel 16, verse 3. And say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are the land of the Canaanites, and your, uh, 
and your father was an Amorite, and your mother was a Hittite. All right, it's kind of an insult. Uh, <laughs> that they, These people, they're not. They weren't forever God's people. They were called out of other nations with other gods. And as for your birth, on the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. You became mine. And then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with, with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. All right. So this is the story of God's people becoming the bride. This is how God approaches uh, those who are worthless according to the world, who are left in their blood to die, who are abhorred and who are abandoned, who are left naked with nothing. And not because of themselves, but because of God's great love for his bride, for the people of Israel, he, he bestowed upon them all of these glories that they could be presented, as it says, perfect through the splendor that I bestowed upon you. That that is the love of God for his people. That is the love of God for Israel. Kind of his, his special nation, these people that he called out of nothing. And now Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ becomes the, the ultimate fulfillment of this promise. That yes, there's the Old Testament, there's Israel, but now this is true of us as the church. The exact same language is used of how Jesus came and he, he made us his own. And so we, we see in Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27, this will sound very familiar. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now in the Old Testament, we kind of see, okay, it seems like God is just kind of taking care of his people, but in Jesus we see how, how it actually had to be. How was it that, that Israel would become the kind of the people of God? How is it that we, 
the church would become the bride. And we see here that it's, it's only through one way as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That Jesus had to make us his bride. He had to prepare us to be his bride. And there are all these things that we thought were just blessings, like had come at a, an extraordinary cost. And we say, oh, like I, we, were, we were drawn up out of death into life. That we, Jesus called out to us, live. And the only way he can do that is by dying on the cross himself and by giving us his eternal life that he earned for us. And when he called us out of our own blood, he had to become bloodied on the cross. That for us to be clothed with the righteousness and these fine linens, Jesus had to be stripped naked and hung on the cross. That he had to be given, he had to give, give his own righteousness, his own perfection to us. That when we say, okay, we've been, we've been adorned with gold and with silver, that was Jesus' inheritance in heaven that he had earned, and yet he took the cross and he gave us the silver and the gold. That that, that bread, the bread and honey, he gives us his very flesh and blood to eat and to drink. That is his love for us. And not because we were beautiful, but because we were, we were ugly and we were broken and he saw us and he cared. And he said, you know what, I will be ugly and broken for them that they might be beautiful. That is the love that he has for his bride, the church. And look at what it, what it turns us into that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. All right, that's the only way that we're going to get into the, the royal family of the divine God, the holy God, the perfect God, is we have to be perfect and spotless. And we long to be that, but we know that we're not. And yet here is Jesus washing us with his blood and calling us absolutely that without wrinkle or spot or blemish. Perfect to stand before the altar of marriage. Now, if, you, if you're not familiar, this is, we play this out in our marriage ceremony. That we think of the bride, and what is the bride supposed to be? The bride is supposed to be perfectly white. That's why when the bride flips out, if something gets on her dress, she's supposed to. It's, there's spiritual reasons here. She's supposed to be perfect. Because she's a symbol of how, how washed clean the church really is. How perfect the blood of Christ has washed her. And now the groom. What is the groom supposed to be wearing? Black. Black. All right, this whole like white tuxedo thing, like that messes up all the analogies. Like he's supposed to be black because it, the thing that's implied is that, that the bride used to be black. That she would be black except for Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, coming and washing her clean and taking all of that upon himself. That we are called perfect in splendor and beauty because Jesus took all of our sin upon himself. That's the only way we can deserve to, to stand before God that we can be called the bride. That is the love that he has for us. That's what we rest in. That's what we delight in. That's the joy of being in Jesus. But 
but we're not yet married. We're not yet married. That's the thing we always have to remind ourselves. Like, we are, we're engaged to Jesus, and we are preparing for the wedding day. And the thing is, what do we tend to do in this kind of interim period as we wait for our wedding day? Now, I, I wish that Ezekiel 16 stopped at that, at that verse, because then this would be a delightful passage. But it keeps going, and it starts to show the heart of what we do with the love of Jesus, what we do with the love of God, what we do with all of this love poured upon us. And so let's see what Israel did with this in, verse six, uh, in chapter 16, verses 15 through 22. Because of your beauty, for as perfect through the splendor that I bestowed upon you, declares the Lord God, but you, but you trusted in your beauty, and you played the whore because of your renown, and lavished your whorings on the passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines, and on them played the whore. The like has never been, nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of, a, of my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and you made for yourself images of men, and with them you played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them and set my oil and my incense before them. Also my bread that I gave you. I fed you with fine oil and, and flour and honey. You set them before them for a pleasing, a pleasing aroma. And so it was, declared the Lord God. You took your sons and your daughters, whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. We are whoring so small a matter that you had slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them. And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your blood. All right, this is a devastating passage. This is a devastating passage, but this is the reality of what we do with the love of Jesus if we are left to ourselves. This is the reality of the human heart. This is the reality of the human condition. That we would take all of those gifts, all of those beautiful displays of God's love, and we'd use each of them to worship another, to be idolatrous, to be adulterous. And so you see the bread given over to idols. You see the gold and the silver given to the idols. You see Jerusalem and Israel just taking off those fine linens and putting them onto other nations and other gods. And we think, well, that's, that's Israel. We would never do that. We would never do that. But then, then Paul, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 he says that the temptation is to do just that. He says, For I, I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. What's he saying? He's saying that, that the church, his bride, we included, have this tendency to, to want anything but Jesus. Anything but Jesus. 
And we see, that we see this cross, and we see all the work that he's done, and we say, well, like, yeah, let's go to something else. We want a different gospel. We want a different message. We want a different bridegroom. And we do the exact same thing. And we run after other things, and we give ourselves to other things. And I ask you, I ask you, this week, this week, what was the joy of your heart this week? What did you run after this week? What did you delight in this week? Where was your hope and your passion and your worship? And we all have to admit that, that we gave ourselves other things. We ran after other things. That we make our lives about anything but Jesus. All right, what might this look like? This might be that we, we continue over and over to give ourselves to the law. And we devote ourselves to the law and we love the law. And we forget that like Jesus died so that we might be free from the law. So we don't have to be enslaved to it anymore. So we don't have to try to earn this righteousness, which we could never, we can never wash ourselves clean and blemish free and wrinkle free and earn the perfection, but we run back to it. And we feel this affection for it and this, oh, we, we, we must, we must carry the law. Or maybe we gave ourselves to escapism, to all these things that would maybe distract us and kind of comfort us in the, in the short term instead of running to Jesus. These things that we could love and ultimately are deceiving us. Look what he says. He says that don't be, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, don't be deceived. Like, these things will not love you. They cannot love you. They cannot die for you, they will not be there for you. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to actually pill, like, pillage the gifts that God has given you. That these idols, they just want to take the gifts of God and give you nothing in return. All right, maybe you just gave yourself to sin this week. And you said, like, well, I have this freedom in Christ, and, and you took this gift and beautiful gift of freedom and gave it to idolatry, and gave it to adultery. Maybe you even took all these gifts, and you said, like, look how, look how God has changed me. Look, I'm a different person. I've been brought up out of, out of nothing, and now I'm going to use it to worship myself, and to see how I'm, I'm better than everyone else out there, and those people out there, I can judge them now. Like, no, that's not, what, that's not at all what you're called to do. You're not using these gifts to worship yourself. You're you're devoting yourself to Jesus. And that's where we, we have this line that we say every week, nothing but Jesus. That's what, that's what Paul is warning about, that, that anything but Jesus is going to devastate us and is going to abandon us. And if we don't focus on nothing but Jesus, we, we have lost sight of our bridegroom. We have lost sight of our first love. We are not delighting in the one of, of whom has given everything he can to us. Nothing but Jesus. That's what we're called to. And so we ask ourselves, like, well, what do we do? What do we do if that is the natural inclination of our hearts, if that's naturally where we go, if that's just the blindness of who we are as the bride, if we are adulterous, what do we do? Now, 
Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. It's always been in Jesus. It's not in ourselves. And so if you're feeling discouraged right now, like, yes, I, I am adulterous, like, look again to Jesus. Look again to Jesus. And even Israel, even Israel is given this promise in that same exact passage in verse 59. In verse 59, and it says, For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Yet, yet, yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. And I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. All right, what is he saying there? God is saying, like, yes, I see your adultery. I see your idolatry. But you know what? I'm going to keep the covenant. I'm going to keep the covenant that I made with you. Even if you are unfaithful, I will be faithful. And I will continue to pursue you. I will continue to love you. I will continue to be devoted to you. But what he says is, you know what? You broke that old covenant, and so I'm going to give you a better covenant, an everlasting covenant, an unbreakable covenant, a covenant that will actually change you so much that you'll be able to keep it. And that's where we look at the Old Testament, and we're like, okay, like, it seems like Israel kind of sucks. And they always fail, and they're terrible. Like, they didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do. They are not part of the everlasting covenant. And that's where we've been given this amazing blessing that we've been given the Holy Spirit himself, that Jesus united himself to us, and he is changing our hearts, and he is changing who we are. He is he's rooting out the adultery in our hearts, and he's killing it, and he is changing us so that we might actually love him and be devoted to him. That's the great gift. Now, what is that like? That's like, actually, Scripture uses this analogy that when we are given the Holy Spirit, that's our guarantee. That's our assurance. That's our promise that Jesus will not forsake us. He will not abandon us. He will not see us in our adultery and run away. But no, instead, he will change us. And the guarantee of the engagement ring promises that, that he will show up at the altar and he will make sure we show up too. Look at Revelation 19.6. It's our last passage. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. All right, notice how this is, this is a little bit more than what was said in Ephesians. They're saying that you're, you, know, you are already perfect. You are already beautiful. You are also without blemish. But now, now it's saying the bride adorned herself that she also clothed herself, she made herself beautiful for the sake of the son, for the sake of the bridegroom. Not to earn any more salvation, there couldn't earn any more salvation, that just the bride is so enraptured with the groom as she should be, that she wants to be beautiful, she wants to adorn herself. 
She wants to live as the Holy One. She wants to be the, the bride that will delight the groom. But what does it say? It says, it was granted to her to clothe herself. That this is actually a gift as much as anything else. That our perseverance in this relationship, our ability to, to root out the adultery and to pursue Jesus is a gift from Jesus himself. That he has given himself, he has guaranteed that we are going to make it to the altar. And that when we get there, we would be beautiful because he has washed us clean and because we have, we have done things that please him and that he delights in. So what am I telling you, us as the church? Once again, love Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should be desperate people who pray and pray and pray. God, open my eyes to see the love of Jesus. Help me not to be deceived by all these other loves. Help them to fall away. And as we look at the cross, as we look at the love of our Savior, Help me to understand by the power of the Holy Spirit the breadth and height and length and depth of the love of Jesus. The love that surpasses knowledge. That when I have opportunities to sin, I would say, like, no, I want to love Jesus. He has loved me. I want to love him. And I want to, I want to wait for that day when I will see him face to face in the marriage supper of the Lamb because he has guaranteed I will get there. We are the bride. We are the beloved of Jesus Christ. Let's, let's run towards that altar. Let's run towards that feast that we may love Jesus and enjoy him. Amen? Amen. All right. Any questions? Any questions? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We are astounded and overwhelmed by his love. Father, would you give us eyes to see that love? Would you give us the spirit that he may enlighten us and, and help us to comprehend the unsurpassable, the immeasurable riches of Jesus' love for us? Father, would you transform us that we may be the bride that, that longs to please Jesus because you, you are already pleased with us. You have already given us perfection. We are already spotless and, and perfect in your sight. Father, would we live out of that identity that we are not earning it, we are not fighting for it, we are basking in it. Father, would you cause anything but Jesus to fall away that we may have nothing but him, nothing but Jesus, that he may be our delight and our joy and our, our eternal hope. We pray in Jesus' name.